And it's a crisp, cool morning out there, which is a good thing. It reminds us that, uh, that Christmas is coming. We can celebrate the Savior here in just, a, just another week or so. We'll start our Advent celebration, and, uh, and we'll start counting down the days until Christmas arrives. Uh, one rule on our new furniture, no sleeping. All right. Okay, uh, I want to make you aware of an opportunity that is coming up uh, here in just a few weeks. Uh, Ryan Mobley, who is the Southern and Central Illinois Director for Safe Families for Children, will be here on December the 11th. I'll be preaching that Sunday morning on biblical hospitality, which is not simply the act of having people in your home, it is uh, biblically the idea of caring for the stranger, uh, caring for the least of these, my brethren, uh, as Jesus put it. Or as James put it, uh, pure and undefiled religion is this, to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. And what Safe Families is is a ministry to primarily single mothers and their children where you take in uh, a child or children, as the case might be, for on average about four to eight weeks uh, to take care of an immediate need to relieve an immediate problem that that young mom has. Um, maybe she needs to spend some time in drug rehab or uh, has another need where she's going to need someone to take care of her children for her uh, for a short period of time, uh, and uh, you would have short-term custody of them as a safe family's parent. And then the goal is to help that person get through the situation that they're in, to take care of their kids, and to, uh, to obviously share the gospel with those kids and with the mom, and, uh, and then to have that family be reunited. And... Uh, it's a pretty exciting ministry, uh, something actually that got started uh, in Chicago by evangelical free churches up there and is now uh, spread across the country and around the world. They've done about 29,000 placements in the last 15 years. Uh, and it's an exciting opportunity, something I'm very excited about, something I've gotten involved with, uh, helping to uh, expand that ministry here in um, here in central Illinois, and we're going to have an opportunity to hear from Ryan. Uh, there's going to be an informational luncheon for anybody who's interested in this, who thinks, you know, I could do that. I've got an extra room or an extra bed, and we could take care of a kid for a few weeks or a few months. Um, and uh, there's going to be an informational luncheon on December the 11th. There'll be some folks who have done placements here in the Peoria area. Uh, who will uh, be here also to answer questions about, quote, what it's really like to do this. And, um, and so uh, if you want to sign up for that, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer out there on the, one of those tables. Uh, this is an exciting thing and a neat opportunity for the church to be the church in a very tangible way uh, to people who maybe would never come to church uh, apart from folks reaching out to them in, in this kind of a way. So... Uh, anyway, so I'm very excited about that. I hope that you'll consider that opportunity prayerfully and, uh, and sign up to, to get a little more information. If you sign up for lunch, you're not signing up for anything other than lunch. 
okay? You're not signing up to uh, necessarily uh, do a, a, a hosting or anything like that, but uh, find out some more about it. And then uh, there is a training session coming up in February. Uh, so if, if you get some more information and you think, you know, I really would like to do this, uh, there'll be an opportunity to get trained and, uh, and do that as well. So uh, that's, uh, that's coming up, but I really do want you to pray about it. If this is something that you think you could potentially do, um, a lot of times the kids that you would get as a placement are preschool age. Uh, they're young kids, and um, uh, they, need, uh, they need love and care. So anyway... Before we get into our message, let's pray, and um, and then we'll uh, we'll seek the, we'll seek the Lord in His Word together. So, God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Your Word, love, and care for us is abundant. Indeed, it is supernatural. You pour forth love for us from heaven, and then you came down from heaven. You sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and then sent forth the Spirit into the world to dwell in your people, that we might uh, not only receive the adoption as sons, but also might live empowered by your Spirit in a way that is pleasing to you. And Father, this morning as we open your word, I pray that, uh, that you would make the word very clear to us. Help us to understand it and to embrace it as true, and then to go forth obeying it because it is true. And Father, we pray uh, that your spirit would would fill this place and your people with the knowledge of you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, we're continuing here for a few more weeks our uh, look at the big questions that people ask about the Christian faith. And one of them, believe it or not, is this one. Why did Jesus die? Uh, And just, you know, that may seem obvious to some of you, but consider this. Muhammad, who is the founder of the uh, Islamic faith, considered Jesus to be a great prophet of God. Mohandas Gandhi, the dedicated Hindu and great leader in the Indian independence movement in the last century, Uh, was captivated by the Sermon on the Mount and considered Jesus to be one of the greatest people who ever lived, perhaps the greatest, according to Gandhi. And while he was here on earth, Jesus was absolutely honest. He expressed incredible love. He healed hundreds of people and even raised the dead to life again. He cared for his parents. He was loyal to his friends. He loved children and people by the hundreds and thousands flocked to hear his teaching. What would cause a man who not only in his day, but to this day, was universally revered and respected to be killed in fact, to be put to death in one of the most brutal ways that humans have yet devised. What would cause that kind of a thing to happen? Why did Jesus die in the way that he did, given that he was such an admirable man? And consider this, too, that Christians to this day celebrate and remember Jesus' death in a way that is unique in human history. 
Think about this for a second. You may, some of you may not be old enough to remember this, but a lot of you will remember the day that Princess Diana died. And you'll remember that there was a humongous worldwide outpouring of grief over the fact that this princess, member of the royal family of United Kingdom, died. Churches across the United Kingdom and in a lot of the Commonwealth countries organized extra services just to accommodate all of the mourners. In London, more than one million people gathered in the street to watch the funeral procession. They ran out of places to put all of the flowers in London as they were delivered. It was mountains, literally, of flowers that were delivered. And there was no longer any place to put them. Over two and a half billion people watched the funeral live on television worldwide. It's the most televised event in history. There are no memorials today erected every August 31st to commemorate that event. In fact, when I said August 31st, I bet a lot of you didn't even realize that was the day. And this is just 20 years later. Huge outpouring of grief. But there are no memorials today at the crash site at that tunnel in Paris where she was killed. Uh, Why not? It's old news. It's old news. It's 20 years ago. 1997. August 31st, 1997. I'd been married for about a year by then. You know, it's old news, and nobody cares. And yet, here it is 2,000 years, more than, after the death of Jesus. 2,000 years later. We still celebrate the birth of Jesus, and we still celebrate the death of Jesus as some of the most significant events in history. And why is it so significant that Jesus died in a way that countless thousands of other people have died, including lots and lots of important people, and we don't celebrate their death thousands of years later, but we do celebrate his? Why? Why did Jesus die? Uh, If you're a Christian, you may already know the answer, but if you're not sure what you would say to someone who would ask you, why did Jesus die? What's the significance of his death? Uh, Or if you are not a Christian yet and you don't know the answer to why Jesus died, I want you to listen very closely because Jesus matters to this day precisely because he died and and precisely because of the reason why. Uh, It might sound strange to a lot of people, but the whole purpose of Jesus' life was not his life, but his death. He was born literally in order to die. And just a few weeks after Jesus died, 
Peter, one of Jesus' first followers, gave a big speech in front of a huge crowd of people. And he clarified for them why Jesus died and what the significance of it was and why it matters, uh, not only for them, but for us to this day. So I want to look uh, with you at the book of Acts, and we're going to be in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And we're going to look at just a few verses there in Acts and a couple others, a few other places. But, uh, but let, me, let me show you this. Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 22, down through verse 24. Peter is speaking to a huge crowd in Jerusalem, primarily Jews. And this is what he says. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of foreknowledge and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, if you read those verses carefully, what you see is that there are three causes behind Jesus' death. And the first one, the one I want to talk about first, is that wicked men, or here the ESV reads, lawless men, sent Jesus to his death. And Peter doesn't identify in his sermon here all of the people who fit into that category. But if you read the gospel accounts, you'll find out that it's actually a fairly substantial group of people who had a direct role and a direct responsibility in Jesus' death. And what they did was evil. You first have Judas... Uh, Judas was one of the 12 disciples, part of Jesus' inner circle of friends who were all living with and spending time with Jesus on a daily basis. But Judas was approached by some of the religious leaders who offered him 30 silver coins, the price of a slave that had been gored by an ox. 30 pieces of silver. For Jesus. And Judas, because he was greedy for money, took him up on it. And he said, All right, I'll tell you where Jesus is going to be and when he's going to be there, and I'll tell you where he's going to be and when he's going to be there at a time at night when everybody will be be away and there won't be any crowd around Jesus and it won't cause an uproar. And so on, on the very night that Jesus celebrates the Passover, Judas goes out into the night to tell the religious leaders, this is where Jesus is headed. And Jesus knows at the very time that he is eating with him who the betrayer is and what he is getting up from the table to go do. In fact, he tells him what you're about to do, do quickly. 
And Jesus takes the other disciples and goes out to the Mount of Olives to pray. And then after they have prayed for a while, or well, after Jesus prayed for a while and the disciples slept for a while, uh, Judas shows back up and he runs over and kisses his friend on the face to identify him as the one there to arrest. Can you imagine? Having a friend you have spent years of your life with who uses the gesture of friendship as the very thing that identifies you as the person to be arrested. And they have not sold you down the river for a huge amount of money, but for a cheap price. For a few bucks. This wasn't millions of dollars. This was the equivalent of a couple thousand dollars. You sold your friend into the hands of those who had put him to death. And then also you have the religious leaders themselves who conspired among themselves and then found Judas as a willing party. And these guys all uh, were concerned about their own popularity and their own authority. And they had had traditionally had a position that was high and lofty within the nation and people from all over the nation are now following Jesus instead of listening to them. In fact, as as Jesus teaches, he spends a lot of time denouncing the things that they do and say and teach and they feel threatened. And out of their jealousy and out of their fear, they decide to hatch this conspiracy to put Jesus to death. And once they get him arrested and convicted according to the, all the at least surface legal niceties of the Jewish law, they take him to Pilate. And Pilate is a weakling and a coward in front of this crowd, and he knows He knows that it's out of envy that they're turning Jesus over to him and that they have nothing against him. In fact, he gets in, he interrogates Jesus. He spends lots of time with him. And he says to them, I have found no guilt in this man. But the religious leader said, This man claimed to be the king of the Jews, and they threatened to accuse Pilate of treason against Rome if he didn't put Jesus to death. We're going to rat you out, Pilate, to your higher-ups. We're going to make sure that you go down for treason if you don't kill this man, because no one who claims to be a king is loyal to Caesar, and if you don't execute him, that must mean you support him. And so we read in Mark chapter 15, verse 15, it says this, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, handed him over to be crucified. And he turned him over to some Roman soldiers. They got the whole battalion together to beat and mock and make fun of Jesus. And then they took him out and they hung him on a cross naked and bleeding in front of everybody along one of the main roads into Jerusalem. 
as a warning to anybody else. Wicked men put Jesus to death because of greed and fear and a desire for power and and because of selfish ambition and cowardice. These were all the reasons that these wicked men put Jesus to death. And these men were the visible cause of of why Jesus died what you could see but Peter doesn't leave it there if you look closely what you see is that it was according to look at verse 23 according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God in other words this is not a cosmic accident that this is something that snuck up on the Lord that this was going to happen This was something that God had planned and purposed and designed from eternity past to occur in just exactly the way that it did. The Bible presents us with a God who is both completely loving and completely just. Amen? And though we sometimes think of love and justice as being opposites, with God, Within God himself, they are not opposites. His justice is loving, and his love is perfectly fair. But as we all know, God's justice presents a huge problem for us, doesn't it? Because the Bible tells us that all of us are sinners. Amen? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And worse than that, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. What you earn uh, instead of, as a, as a sinner, instead is not a paycheck, but retribution, death from God. That is the wages that you have piled up for yourself. And most people don't realize how big a problem God's justice really is for us as people. Because most people think that God's justice works kind of like one of those old-timey uh, pan balance scales. You know, you've got, the, you've got the center point in the middle, and then you've got the two pans that go back and forth. And then when they balance, well, that's good, right? You have the exact weight on both sides. And they think that, well, what we're really shooting for in life is for my good deeds... To outweigh the bad stuff that I've done. Right? That what I'm really hoping for is that I do enough good stuff, enough things that God approves of, that my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds. And and therefore, all of this is going to come out in the wash. Right? And I'll be approved by God on balance, and I'll get into heaven. You know, it's like the old uh, Saturday Night Live routine with Father Guido Sarducci. Okay, I don't know if you've ever seen this, okay? This is pretty good. Uh, Father Guido Sarducci said, when you go to heaven, what happens is this. He says, you get a you million dollars handed to you. And then you have to stand before God and you have to pay for your sins. And if you lie, that's like $100,000. And if you... If you commit murder, that's like a million dollars. And if you run out of money, then you get reincarnated. Okay, now that is completely wrong, right? 
There's nothing right about that. But it does reflect a whole lot of what people do think about God's justice. That somehow you pay for your sins with doing good stuff and it balances out somehow. And we don't know where God's standard of righteousness and justice is, but we know that it's to the left of me. Right? Because I've never met anybody who says, including some people in prison, who all say, well, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. Really? You're on the other side of the bars. But you're a pretty good guy. Well, yeah. You know, I've done more good things than bad things. It's just the bad things carry a legal penalty. Right? But consider this. Consider, let me just give you a couple examples, okay? Let's suppose, now I know this never happens in anyone else's house but mine, but let's suppose that you were running late on your way to church this morning. And let's suppose you did a quick calculation in your mind and you said to yourself, you know, lights that are timed for 30 are also timed for 60. And not that you would ever do that, but... Other people might do that, but not any of you, I know, okay? But you're, you're leaning into the gas pedal, and all of a sudden, you see red, white, and blue lights come up behind you, and you realize it is not the 4th of July, uh, and you're in a problem, right? And the officer pulls you over, and he says to you, sir or ma'am, do you realize how fast you were going? And you kind of say, well, yes. But as a matter of fact, you need to understand some things about me. You see, I'm a really good person, officer. I go to see my mother in the nursing home every other day. And in fact, I, I know that I was speeding, but I also give to Easter seals. And uh, I was on my way to church, and I was late, and that's why I was speeding. Now, if the officer is concerned about the law, as he should be, is he going to say, well, it's really no problem, because after all, I know your pastor, and he is a really good pastor, and therefore, it's worth it to speed on the way to hear his sermons, and you are going to be exonerated, right? Is that what's going to happen? No, because the law does not care about all of the good things that you have done, amen? The law cares about you have, this is the standard, and you have violated it, and this is the penalty, and if you're going 30 over, you probably are going to be lucky to not be walking to church for the next six months, right? Um, because the law does not care about the good things that you've done, only about the wickedness you have committed and what the penalty for that is. So if he is a good policeman, he will write you a very healthy fine. Or consider this, consider something that's a little more serious. If let's say that you are guilty of murder and you come to your sentencing hearing and you're standing before the judge and you say to him, well, judge, I know that I am guilty. In fact, I pled guilty in the case because in fact, I am guilty of murder that did happen. However, you know, I also... Uh, you know, I, I, I make donuts for Rescue 33 every year, and, and, I, and I give to church, and, um, you know, I'm part of the Policeman's Fraternal Association, and, 
you know, I do a lot of good things in the community. And by the way, this is the first person that I have ever murdered. And I am not going to murder anybody else. And so you should let me off because my lifetime of good deeds really does outweigh all of this stuff that, you know, I did with this over here. What's he going to do? If he's a good judge, he's going to throw you in prison for the rest of your life. Why? Because justice demands that its penalty be satisfied. Amen? And God does not judge on a sliding scale. You know, he doesn't have like, you know, like, Stalin, Hitler, Manson, Pol Pot, you, you know, and everybody to the left of you uh, goes to hell, but, you know, you and everybody else on this side get in. No, he says you have to be perfectly holy. You have to be perfectly righteous, and the penalty for sin must be paid in full. The penalty for sin must be paid in full. And this is where God's love becomes so important. Remember John 3.16? How does it start out? Okay. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish, in other words, would not die, would not pay the penalty for sin, but would have eternal life. And this is what Peter is talking about when he says that Jesus died according to God's plan. According to his set purpose and foreknowledge, Jesus is taking on the penalty that we deserved for our sin so that God could love and forgive us and still be just. See, the problem in, in, the, in the Bible is not how can a loving God send, uh, send people to hell. It's the how can a just God allow wicked people into heaven? And God loves us. And so he sent his son. The death penalty has to be paid for sin. And so God, according to his perfect plan, ensured that the death penalty was paid for sin. Amen? In the death of Jesus. And, the, and so God's justice is therefore satisfied. But God's love is also seen very clearly for us in Jesus' death. It's seen in the fact that it isn't our death, but it's the death of God's only Son, Jesus, who dies instead of us. And this is the heart of the gospel message, amen? That when we could do nothing, God, in His love and justice, did everything for us. When we had done everything possible to deserve death according to God's justice, he did something only love could do and would do. And he tells us what he did. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul says this. He reminds us of the significance of Jesus' death. I want to turn there and read it to you. Okay, Romans chapter 
5, verse 6 through 8. This is, a, this is a great chapter as a whole, but these verses are awesome. Let me show them to you. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we could not reach up to God, he reached down to us. And when we could not pay the penalty of our sin without dying, God the Son died in our place willingly and lovingly, saving you and me, if you will trust in him. Amen? According to God's set purpose and foreknowledge, Christ died. And there's one more person that's mentioned in the text too uh, that is very important and is also responsible for Jesus' death. I want you to look at your text again. Chapter 2, verse 22. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And then here's the person. Circle it in your Bible. You crucified and killed. You, with the help of lawless, wicked men, put Jesus to death. Now, even in Peter's day, there was probably no one in the crowd that day as he was speaking who actually swung the whip or drove the nails or made Jesus' thorny crown with his own hands. None of them had directly with their own hands hung Jesus on the cross. And yet Peter still makes it very personal, doesn't he? He points directly at them and says, You, with the help of wicked men, put Jesus to death. And his point is this, that you and I are responsible for Jesus' death because we are still sinners. And Jesus' death is the only way that God's moral standards for us can be met and His loving forgiveness granted to us. So there's an important sense in which even if we are not physically present at the scene, are still responsible for Jesus' death. That even though we weren't there, even though it was happened 2,000 years before we were born in some cases, we are nevertheless responsible. And because, in fact, this is the truth that the Bible proclaims. That even if we were the only people in the history of the world to ever commit sin in need of a Savior, Jesus would have still come for us. He would have come for you individually, if that's what it took to bring about your salvation. And sometimes I, don't, I think we don't realize how serious our situation really is until we understand what is necessary in order to fix it. You know, if you, if you all of a sudden one day uh, you're, cooking, you're cooking breakfast, you're about to flip your eggs over, and all of a sudden you faint in the kitchen. 
And when you wake up, you're not in your kitchen, you're in the ICU and you've got tubes going in your nose and down your throat and stuff hooked up to your veins and so forth, you might go, huh, so I guess I just didn't stand up too early, I guess. I must have had something more serious and more significant that is wrong with me because look at all that they are doing to fix me. And you have to do the same thing as it relates to Jesus. You realize what kind of situation you are in when you realize what God has to do to resolve it. And what he has to do to solve it is to send his only begotten son to the cross in order to solve your problem and my problem with sin. In order to save us from death, he puts his son to death. And that's the glory of the cross. Our sin, though it makes Jesus' cross and his death necessary and makes us responsible for it, it's the very means that God uses to grant us forgiveness. That the very punishment that we deserved, God himself, though he said this is the punishment, he is the one who took it on in order that he might not punish us, but instead forgive us for everything we ever have done or said or thought or will do or will say or will think that is out of alignment with his revealed will and plan and purpose for us. In other words, every sin we ever have committed or ever will commit, every good thing we should have done and did not do, and every wicked thing that we took delight in and did, God laid on his son, poured out the penalty for it on him, that we might not be held accountable to the penalty, but might receive the forgiveness. That God's love and his justice kiss at the cross, and he, the, the penalty that his justice demanded is met, so that the forgiveness can also be extended. And it's an amazing thing. And, of course, the best part of the story is verse 24. It says this, that Jesus did not stay dead. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible. And I love that phrase. It was not possible for him to be held by it. Death is the penalty for sin. Since Jesus had done no sin himself, but only died to pay sin's penalty for us, he could not, he could not stay dead. A man who is not a sinner cannot stay dead, according to Peter, here in verse 24. He rose again, and he is victorious over sin and death, and he is able, therefore, to grant us victory over sin and death. So why did Jesus die? Three reasons. The actions of wicked men to conspire to put him to death that have actually succeeded and did put him to death. He was put to death also because it was God's plan from eternity past. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the world according to the scriptures. God's set purpose and plan 
had purposed to put Jesus on the cross that the penalty of sin might be paid and that forgiveness might be granted to all who would look to him. But it's also our sin that put Jesus on the cross. He didn't simply die as a martyr. He didn't simply go down in glorious defeat for a cause he believed in. He died for you and for me to take the penalty that God's justice demanded that the love of God might be extended. And perhaps some of you, perhaps some of you who have maybe even been coming to this church for a long time, have never really understood this. Or you're just coming to understand it right now. And if so, if today is the very first time that you have understood why Jesus had to die, then can I invite you to put your trust in him? Can I tell you that God is calling you today to believe that Jesus died in your place and was raised from the dead to give you new life? That God's just requirements have been met on your behalf so that God can extend to you and is extending to you today forgiveness and grace and welcome into his family. Don't let today pass by without receiving the gift that Jesus died to offer to you. Amen. Now, perhaps you understand these things completely. Perhaps you've been nodding along in agreement um, we're going to go with that agreement, not not drowsiness. Uh, as I've explained these things, you're going, yeah, exactly. That's true, Pastor. That's true. I believe that. And if that is true, praise God, but don't let it become old hat. And I think that's one of the things that, that can happen to us as believers. You know, we hear the gospel and we kind of think, well, yeah, that's true. That's great. And it transforms our life completely from top to bottom when we're brand new believers. But then as we hear it, we go, yeah, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And we kind of get bored with it. But the reality is, is that this message is the heart of your Bible, the actions of Jesus on the cross are at the center of the entire purpose and plan and, uh, and kingdom of God. Everything depends and centers around and is, uh, and is pointing toward and is dedicated to making known the reasons why Jesus died on the cross. And that all who turn to him have salvation in him. So don't let it become something you are bored with. Something that is just old news. And one of the best ways of doing that is to make sure that it is proclaimed to those that you know who do not understand these things in the way that you do. You know, this weekend coming up, a lot of us are going to be with family or with friends, and we're going to have some of them, probably, who don't know Jesus that we're going to have opportunity to talk to. And I'm not suggesting that you 
stand up at your dinner table and tap on your glass for attention and say, hey, all you heathens at the table, I got something I need to tell you. <laughs> okay. But what I am suggesting is this, that many times as you get opportunity to sit around and to talk, you can say, you know, one of the things I'm really thankful for is the fact that Jesus Christ died in my place and was raised from the dead to give me new life. And I don't know, Fred or you know Aunt Wilma or whatever, whoever you're talking to, if you've ever done that, but it has changed my life. And I've been praying for you that I'd have an opportunity to talk with you about it. Would you, would you be willing to talk to me about this? And if they say no, say, okay. You don't have to push. You don't have to be the obnoxious relative, okay? But here's an opportunity to talk to people about something that if it has changed your life, is something you can proclaim. And it's a golden opportunity to do that. Because if you know Jesus, you genuinely are thankful that he looked down from heaven on you and went, well, I'll die for that one. Because I'll assure you there's nothing in this fool that is worth laying your life down for, okay? But Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. And he came into our lives by the Holy Spirit as we believed the gospel and changed us and made us new people. And is taking us to a glorious inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. And if all who have that hope have the opportunity to talk to other people about how they might have it too. So I encourage you to do that. If these things are, are th something that you know, something that you've been sitting here going, yeah, pastor, I know this. This is, this is good stuff, but I know all this already. It's wonderful if you know all this already. But the point is not that you know, but that you share what has happened to you. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, as we approach Thanksgiving we are truly thankful for the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom we can say with Paul, I am the chief. Father, there is room at the cross for all who will come. I pray that we would all come. That anyone in this room who has never put their trust in you would do so today. That today would be the, the day of salvation for him or for her. For all who come to you, you will not cast away a single one. And Father, I pray that we would be bold, not obnoxious, not rude, but bold and kind and gently loving but nevertheless fearless in making known the truths that have changed our lives to those that we love and care for and even to those that we don't. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.